0: Titus 1, 10 through 16. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. It's an honor to be here. I work at the University of Arizona for a ministry called Athletes in Action, and uh, my wife and we have three daughters, we just moved down here in August, and um, it's interesting. Uh, About two years ago, we uh, found out that we were going to be heading down towards U of A. And the first thing that we did is we came down and just kind of prayed and spent some time here in Tucson. And the first people that we got to hang out with were Dave and Kira and their kids. And, um, you know, in the transition, we didn't know where we were going to live, where our kids were going to school. But we knew we wanted to be a part and to walk alongside and do life and church with them. And at that point, uh, we were, they were meeting in their home. And so it's an honor to stand before you today and see all that God Uh, has done and continues to do here. Uh, Dave and I met in college. Uh, My perspective of us meeting um, was kind of an admiration thing too. Um, We both were a part of a, a campus organization that was pretty broad. In that, and the goal of it was really to share the gospel with the campus, to tell others about Jesus, and to raise up leaders uh, on that campus. And so there was a, an initiative that we started, or that was started, and we both participated in, and um, it was interesting. We bought, there was about 1,000, like, lime green colored shirts. And they all said, I agree with Dave on there. And I can't remember if I knew you at that point or if I didn't, but I, I just, whatever. So we were all the the deal was we were going to wear these shirts for five days Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday and then on Friday uh, this guy named Dave was going to get up there and share you know uh, the gospel and it was really actually pretty effective and pretty cool and so uh, on Monday you know and it was actually interesting how you would walk out on campus on the mall and you would see different people with these shirts on and so as you would wear the shirt and walk into class people started to catch on like what's going on here. Like, who's that? Or, or what does Dave think? And it was cool. So it was a real opportunity to engage the campus in spiritual conversations, uh, in the gospel. And then on Friday, Dave got up there and shared uh, the gospel. And it was also an opportunity to say, well, if you guys want to hear what Dave's going to say, you know, come check him out on Friday. And so it, it was cool. I still have that shirt. And in the move, I couldn't find it. So I was like, oh, man. <clears throat> Dave, I just want to say it's an honor to walk alongside you, and um, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Keep leading us. You know? Yeah. We are going to get into this, and we're going to be in the book of Titus. So if you brought your Bibles, go ahead and start turning to Titus. It's like towards the end, so go right. If you don't have a Bible or you need a Bible, please raise your hand, and we're going to have someone um, that will uh, bring a Bible to you. We have a heart and a desire for everyone to have a Bible that they can read and understand. Do me a favor, uh, just please, if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Please write your name in the Bible, underline it, take it home. Um, we want you to have a copy of God's Word. Well, there's really three things here that we're going to be looking at. But before I go there, we're, we, we love to preach through books of the Bible here at Redemption. And uh, we started two weeks ago in the book of Titus okay, and Titus is a book written by the Apostle Paul to a young man named Titus who was a leader that Paul believed in, and Paul had sent to this island called Crete, and the letter is like an instruction manual for Titus to launch churches there in Crete and kind of get things set in order. Today, we're going to be looking at... um, Last week we looked at, Paul says, hey, you need to install some leaders there in Crete. And then he gave qualifications for these leaders, and we talked a lot about that. Today we're going to continue this journey, and we're going to be looking at three things. The first is we're going to be looking at false teachers. We're going to be addressing the false teachers that were present, that were sort of in opposition to the church there. The second is the false teaching, like what were they teaching? And lastly false living, like this was infecting the way people were living. Church, how we think impacts how we live. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I invite you in today into our hearts and our minds, into this time, into the message. Lord, into your word. We ask and pray that you would change us and transform us. Give us a heart that will beat for you. God, raise up leaders, we pray. Give us wisdom and discernment with false teaching and what that looks like today. Give us courage to stand for you and help us, God, to live in a way that is humble and consistent with your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't grow up going to church, I didn't grow up thinking about God. I didn't grow up in an environment or in a home where God was talked about. And I think if I was in high school and I had to check a box, like, what do you believe? I would have checked a box that was maybe the atheist box or the agnostic box. I didn't know who God was. I didn't ever think about God. And if God was real, then I wouldn't know what name to give him. And I wasn't against God. I just had never thought about the concept. I was good in school. I was good at a game called football. I had an opportunity to play football down here at the University of Arizona. I came down on my visit to check out the campus and decide if I wanted to go to school here or not. On my visit, I met a man named Dave. Not this Dave, a different Dave. (laughs) Dave was my first friend down here. He escorted me around campus, he was from my hometown. Just a great guy. I decided on that visit to go to the University of Arizona. I show up in August, ready to play, and Dave is my first friend, and we connect. We go to camp together, we build this relationship. When we get back from camp, Dave says, hey, why don't you come to this meeting? It happens on Sunday nights in the athletic department. It's a Christian athlete meeting. And I don't know what it was, but I was like, sure. Okay, I'll check it out. Go to the meeting. It was good. after the meeting, Dave and I sit down on the locker room couch. Dave pulls out this pamphlet. We start going through it. In the pamphlet, it's like four simple points about God and myself and how God created us to know him. And yet man says, no, thank you. We reject him. And so God sends Jesus. And then the last page is, we must pray and accept him by faith. He gets to the end, he says, do you want to do this? And I, like I said, I don't know what it is, but for whatever, God opened my eyes and my heart and I understood and it made sense. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. So he goes to the last page and there's this prayer and we pray the prayer. And I meant it. Three weeks into college on the locker room couch, I... Give my life to Christ. There was a guy named Doug who was leading the ministry at the time. He was leading the meeting that I went to that night. Dave tells Doug, hey man, check this out. Elliot gave his life to Christ. Doug starts meeting with me, pouring into my life. As I look back on my life, I see men pouring into me. At every single stage of development, from the point I came to know Jesus to where I stand before you now, you can ask me about that season of my life, and I can tell you about a guy that has been pouring into me. And that has been my story. And Doug invested in me for five years at the University of Arizona. And he challenged me. And he taught me. I knew nothing about this. And he started with, like, dude, like Old Testament, New Testament. Jesus and I had no clue and I wanted to grow and I wanted to learn and he would challenge me when I was like well what about this he said no like and he would challenge me with the areas of my life that didn't honor God and I listened well I I played for five years at Arizona had an opportunity my my playing career ended and then I took a job as a high school teacher loved it I was teaching up at a, a public high school in Phoenix And um, I just, I wanted to be used by God, and, and this was the opportunity. I loved high school students. And all of a sudden, there was another guy, a guy named Dondi. And he came up to me, and he said, hey, listen, we've got this idea that we think we can really make an impact on a high school campus but by starting some of these clubs. There's a girl in your class, and she says, you're a Christian, Do you want to lead the club? And I'm like, uh. So we go to Starbucks. We grab coffee. And he starts telling me about this. Well, he wants me to lead something. I don't know what leadership is. Don't worry. We'll figure it out together. I'll help you. I'll pour into you. Will you do it? Pray about it. So I did. So here was the plan, okay? Because on a public school campus, teachers can't preach. But kids, students can so the idea, and it was sneaky, and it was good, because <laughs> invest in these student leaders. Like, invest everything you have into these students and turn them loose. And it was amazing. And you know what's so crazy about it? it was like how Jesus did it. Invested in these young men and then sent them loose. And we're here today because of that strategy. And I remember the first time I ever read a book on leadership, we, we would meet on Saturday mornings and we opened up this Courageous Leadership by Bill Hybels and we started going through it. And I grew and I grew as a man invested in me. And he challenged me and I remember I showed up late. I, I swear for the first, I, And he, he's like, okay, you need to stop showing up late. And I don't know what it was, but I needed that truth in my life at that moment. And these things exploded on campus. It was unbelievable. The things we saw, it was, it was unbelievable. God did a mighty work. And then I remember a man named Kent invested in me. It was really about me being a husband and, and we were just having our first kids and, and our first daughter was born and, and Kent invested in me. And we'd go for a walk every Tuesday morning for seven years, every Tuesday morning, we'd talk about life. I'd tell him about my marriage how it's hard, how this, that. Sometimes he'd say, yeah, you're right. Sometimes he'd say, no, you're really wrong. And it was good. I needed it. I needed it. I needed it. Do we have people who are older and wiser than us that we can see and learn from? All right, let's jump into the text. Titus 1.10 through 12. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, and this is true, this testimony is true. But Paul uses harsh words here, insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, liars. He's telling Titus, like, there are people among you who are like that, especially those of the circumcision party. He calls out a group. We're going to talk about this group later. Paul tells Titus, shut them up. They've got to be silenced. They're upsetting whole families. See, how we think impacts how we live. And how we live in community always impacts others. In fact, these people, they were like itinerant preachers, like motivational speakers going from town to town, preaching for gain. They were making money off this. And then Paul, which I love, calls out the Cretans by using a Cretan. He quotes a poet named Epimenides in a poem that he wrote where he described his own people as such. And then he finishes with, it's true. I love how Paul uses culture to call out culture. We talk a lot here at Redemption about this sacred-secular divide. What that means is that a lot of times in churches we could say, well, this is holy and this is not holy. And Jesus abolishes that. Like, that's not true. All of life is all for Jesus. There is no divide. It's sacred and secular all at the same time. And it's, it's beautifully displayed here as Paul quotes a pagan poem, which the poem is all about, as crazy as this sounds, the poem is all about um, the Olympian gods, the Greek Olympian gods. In fact, Crete in itself was known for like that. This is where like Zeus and all of when, when they were humans before they ascended and, be, and attained their deity, they came from Crete. There was a temple to Zeus on Crete, okay? This is the environment that Titus is interacting with. Well, what's the big deal? We live in a culture today where you do you, I'll do me, let's so all keep it 100. Just kind of say what you want to say. I respect that. I respect that. The challenge with that is that we lose truth. There is right and wrong. If we call wrong things right, it creates a very confusing environment for kids, for adults, for people. Paul wants Titus to step in and to correct some false teaching. How we think impacts how we live. I want to take a look here. There's a verse here in Romans that is just powerful. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Don't be conformed. Don't be like this world. And then the secret given as to how can we not be like this world? Because if you're like me and you're really trying to live for Jesus, it's really hard sometimes. And we're trying to not be like the world, right? We're trying to be different. But we sometimes in our efforts, we're doing all this doing, right? We forget that what God says in the way that we don't act like this is not by doing more acting, but instead by changing the way we think. And that through the way we think, our hearts change. And as our hearts change and our minds change, our lives change. But if we focus on our lives trying to change and we don't talk about what we're thinking and how we're in in our hearts, it's not going to happen. It's this opposite thing, how we think impacts how we live. We're talking about false teachers here. I told you I was a teacher at Centennial High School for eight years and I was sneaky. I'm telling you, I wanted these students to know Jesus. I also wanted to honor the authority as a teacher, okay? But I was sneaky. So when a student would come in late, what I would do is that I wouldn't hammer them like everybody else did, i pull them outside and i say, what does it mean to you to be faithful? <laughs> what? Like, what does it mean to you to be faithful? Uh-huh. Well, every time you show up late, you're not going to be faithful. Do you want to be faithful in your marriage? Do you want to be faithful as a dad? Well, yeah. Awesome. This is a great opportunity to work on that. I don't know if they started showing up on time because they didn't want to hear the speeches. <laughs> Kid would pull out their cell phone. And if you're a, high, if you're a teacher, cell phones, I'm with you. They d- pull, out, pull out their cell phone, they're texting in class like no one can see them, right? <laughs> I'd be like, hey, um, what does it mean to be self-controlled? <laughs> what, Mr. Winnick? Like, what does that mean, self control Would you put your phone away? I want you to grow in self-control. We had a thing on Friday called Character Fridays, where we really want—I really wanted to invest in them—and I would do like a five-minute speech at the beginning of class on everything. Literally, I'd have my quiet time on Friday morning, a cup of coffee with another man who just—we just invested in my life for a long time—and then I go to class and I teach on—and I put a quote on the board. You know, Um, "Love is patient." And we talk about that, like, what does that mean to be patient, you know what I mean? How can love be patient? Well, let's talk about our society, in what ways is love not patient, you know? And I just, I wanted to be intentional. Why? Because I, I realized the platform that I has as a teacher. See, we have a unique platform as teachers, and you might be saying, well, I don't teach in a classroom. Well, when we lead others, when we speak truth to others, when we guide others, we're teachers. And how we teach impacts people. And so that's why the Bible talks so strongly about being a teacher. And it says, if you're a teacher, be very wise because you're stepping into something that you need to be wise about that you're going to be held accountable to. Let's take a look at this chart here. This is the description that Paul uses to describe the teachers they're up against. Insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers and liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, teaching for shameful gain, upsetting whole families. This is the description It's interesting, if you were here with us last week, or if you just want to read up in your Bible just a little bit, the section right before that butts up against this section that we're looking at now. Paul talks about a good elder, a good teacher, a good leader. And what I did is I put the two next to each other. This is called a (laughs) T-chart. For those teachers in the room, watch out. And it's incredible. I noticed it. Bam, it hit me. In the in this section before it, he says, elders are not to be open to the, tar- the charge of debauchery or insubordination. And then the, the opposite, he says, these are the bad teachers in Crete, they're, they, they're insubordinate. Look at the next. Elders are supposed to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. And the bad teachers are instead are empty talkers. Elders are to be lovers of good, also to give instruction in sound doctrine. Bad teachers, boy, they're deceivers and liars. And you see this comparison And it made me think, this is about leadership. See, the quickest way to stop a bad teacher isn't to throw a rock and say, shut up, you're wrong. Sometimes we're called to go and address it, but not in the ways that we think, one-on-one. Hey, listen, but rather the, the medicine, the antidote to bad teachers is raise up good ones, raise up great leaders. See, bad leaders thrive when there's no leadership or weak leadership. Then you, the bully on the play playground thrives when no one, when, when no kids go, hey, you know what, you don't need to do that. You're just very insecure. <laughs> Bullies don't thrive in those environments, right? The self-confident kid can rule the playground with goodness and wholeness. Let it be that these kids and our kids are those kids in schools. Bullies look foolish in those environments. Bad leaders look foolish in those environments. You wanna, you wanna quiet a bad leader? Just raise up a good one. Let's grow up some leaders in here. And it just takes one good leader, just one godly leader, one person who's gonna love Jesus and live for Jesus in a neighborhood. It just takes one. And all of a sudden, the current starts to change. It just takes one great leader in a school doing things a little bit differently. People are going, what is, that's peculiar. I think about Kristen Tovar here in our church initiating a movement in our city that says why I love where I live. Boy, Tucson gets blasted, especially if you're not from Tucson. Boy, people come in here and they just make fun of us all day long. Kristen says, hold up now. It's why we love where we live. Yeah, we're different it's why we love where we live and inspiring a sense of community in a good way a pride or abigail wilhelm working with free ever after here in the city trying to address sex trafficking in tucson we've got leaders stepping up in areas needing attention and trying to lead with through the power of the holy spirit in those areas I think about Dave and the work that he's, he's endeavoring with racial reconciliation here in our city as we build relationships and we do unusual things that we're just not doing anywhere else. As we go and we eat on Monday nights at restaurants with food and ethnicities and religions of people that aren't like us. And we bring business to them, speaking their language of love. And we listen to their stories and the way they interact I think about our mentorship program here in the church where we're trying to pair people who are a little further down the line, older, wiser, with people who are, are, are coming up and trying to invest deeply. Yesterday, uh, we, we were sitting out on our patio, uh, myself and two, two other uh, young men, just well, young men, well, I don't know, guys, we're just there trying to walk and do life together and grow, addressing challenging situations together. This is our strategy in the athletic department. Our goal is to raise up leaders on every team. Every team, because we believe we can reach the team. If we raise up one leader who loves Jesus on the team, we feel like we have a shot at that team. One person who's living for Christ, who's bold, who's strong, who, who can weather it. We just believe we know it. We see that on our dorms. If we can raise up a leader in a dorm, that we can we have a chance at reaching a dorm. This is our strategy. How we think impacts how we live. Let's take a look at this next section of Scripture. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. So false teachers, but now they're, what are they teaching? It's false teaching. And once again, Paul is telling Titus, rebuke them sharply. We want them to be sound in the faith. Dave talked about this word sound. It means whole. It means peace, shalom. It means right. The healthy church of the one true God. Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. We're going to be looking at this Jewish myths, and the commands of people, and then also tying that to the circumcision party that we looked at earlier, as we really try and wrap our minds around, well, what is the false teaching that these false teachers were were, were giving? And I want us to to, to go into that for a couple reasons. Number one, I think it's going to help us read this Bible. See, when we read the Bible, it's pretty, if you've ever if you're just kind of picking this thing up and trying to open it up, it's very difficult to understand. There's a lot there, and I just want to encourage you that that's been my experience and the experience of, uh, of of all of us, because we're reading someone else's mail that was written 2,000 years ago in a galaxy far, far away. Okay, it was written to different people. Okay, in a different cultural context, with with different realities. All right, and in our world now, if we try and read it. At first, if we bring our lens to it, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. What we have to do is take our lens off and try and understand the lens of the day so that we can read the scripture and then we can apply it to our lives, okay? So that's what I want to do today because so much of of what you're going to read in this Bible is going to be influenced by what we're going to talk about right now. So much of what Paul wrote about in the New Testament was, was, was against this false teaching that we're going to talk about now. But I don't want to start with what's false. I want to start with the truth, the gospel, simple. The good news of Jesus is simply this. God created earth, and on earth, he created humanity, man and woman in his image. And he said, created man and woman in my image. In the image of God, I've created them. And we are God's image bearers. But he did something that was powerful, that showed his love for us. He gave us a gift, and that gift was free will. The power to choose God. And in our choosing God, sometimes, oftentimes, most of the time, we'd say, no, thank you, God. In our choosing, at times we choose him, but we say, no, thank you. And we choose not God. And we turn our backs and we say we want to do our own thing. And that gap, that choice is called sin and that consequence is a separation with God and his people. But God in his love, in his love pursues us. He doesn't just let us go and run away. He runs after us and he did this through the person of Jesus Christ that he sent to this world to bridge the gap, to make a way to have a relationship again with God. And Jesus came and dwelt with us. He lived here on earth. And he died on the cross. And he paid a price for us so that we could have relationship with God. And the kicker was that all we have to do is believe and receive. Believe in Jesus and receive him into our lives. And if we do, God's going to do two things. He's going to change our now. It says that For those who are in Christ, we become new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. And he's going to change our eternity. That because of this, we'll spend eternity with God. In a new heaven and a new earth. That's the gospel. What was happening then, the false teaching was all about people adding to this gospel. They wanted to add more to it. It's not it's too simple. It can't just be that you have to believe in Jesus and receive him. You need to do that plus. And that very basic point is something we struggle with today, but I want to give us the context with which they were struggling with it then. It's adding to the gospel because anytime we add to the gospel, we take away. One of my favorite things to do is to take my daughters a frozen yogurt. It's a blast. And there's options for everyone. Vegan, no problem. It's beautiful. You fill that cup up, and especially if someone else is paying. Just go for it. You add your toppings, you put it on the scale, you pay for it, and you eat it. And I don't know if you're like me, but I love about the first three quarters of that. And then I get to the end, and I'm like, oh, got to finish and I power through, and it's good. But the funny thing about it is, imagine if we were like, man, that was so good, I want more. So we went back to that frozen yogurt line, and we pounded some more in there, and we topped on the toppings again, and we ate it again. Would it be double as good? Wouldn't it be even better? You get more. No, no. For all my friends who are taking econ, For all my friends, my my high school friends who are taking econ or my college, diminishing marginal utility. What that means, what that means, yes, I quoted diminishing marginal utility in church. That means that every additional bite takes away from the goodness that it started with. The same is true when we add to the gospel. In that day, what was going on, they were trying to add to the gospel Things from their Jewish culture. So I'm going to just go give us a quick history lesson here. God created man in his image. Man says no thanks. Before God sends Jesus, he needs to sort of prepare things so that when Jesus comes, there'll be a foundation laid for which we said, oh, that's why he's here. So God started with a man named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. And through you, I'm going to bring a redeemer. Through you, Abraham, I'm going to bring someone who's going to set our people free forever and who's not only going to be a blessing to your family, Abraham, but to a blessing to all the nations. Abraham, you're going to be the father of all the nations. And Abraham, what I'm going to do as a sign of this is I'm going to want you and I'm going to want your people to be different so that when all the other peoples look at you and your family and the generations that are going to come out after that, they're going to see that you're different and they're going to know that because you're different, because you're living differently, that God is real and powerful and good and holy and they're going to know that through you. So the first thing that I want you to do, Abraham, and this is going to be very personal, it's going to be very intimate, as a sign that I'm going to make you the father of many nations, you and every male after you on the eighth day of their birth are going to be circumcised. And in addition to that, they're going to know, the peoples around you are going to know that you're the group that's circumcised. Now that's awkward. I know it is. That's the truth. That was the sign given by God. And it's very personal. It's very intimate. And it's very unique. Think about this. than everyone else around them. And he gave them other rules too. He says, listen, everyone else around you is going to work for seven days. I want you to take the seventh day off and not work. I want you to rest and worship me. And that's going to be very different. And all these other peoples around you, they're going to eat all these other types of animals. But I'm going to want you to only eat these certain types of animals. And God gave the people of Abraham and and the people following him rules so that everyone else would look to this clan of people that's growing throughout history and say, they're different. God must be real. And then through you, Abraham, I'm going to raise up a man named Jesus who's going to go and die on the cross. And Jesus is going to pay a price for all of humanity to know us, to know me. Take a look at this map here. It's interesting. Jesus was Jewish, raised in a Jewish context, and spent most of his time there where that box is. That's pretty much, pretty much right there um, in Jerusalem, in, 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 in the areas surrounding Jerusalem. He didn't he didn't go all over the world even though jesus came for the whole world he concentrated his life there jesus was a jew on the eighth day jesus was circumcised okay but that was the ministry of jesus but when jesus came he's the author the hero the main character of god's story to redeem his people he fulfills all of god's requirements and through faith in him we now fulfill god's requirements and so when Jesus came, the requirement for Jesus was believe and receive. Believe and receive, not do these other things. Because by believing and receiving, you show that you're my people. Jesus fulfills all of those other things now. And so as Jesus dies, and as this good news comes about that, that, that is to now go to the world, Jesus commends his disciples, go, take this to the world. And a man is raised up named Paul. And Paul takes this good news now, this good news that God has pursued his people through Jesus, and he takes it to Europe, to modern-day Turkey, to Greece, to Italy. There's Crete. And in Paul's travels, when he first comes up here into Turkey, he meets a young man named Titus. And he tells Titus about Jesus, and Titus, who's not a Jew. Titus is a Gentile, and Gentile is a word that means anyone who's not Jewish. And he tells Titus about this good news, and Titus believes. And now we have a problem. Because Paul is now sharing this good news that was previously really isolated to one group of people now, to the whole world, who aren't like this one group of people. And Paul brings Titus back to Jerusalem. And at first they rejoice and they're like, wow, this good news is going and it's spreading. And and other people are putting their faith in Jesus. But then the question comes up. Should Titus be circumcised? Should Titus follow the, the law that was given to the Israelites? And they talk about it and they wrestle with it. And they decide, no. No. Hear forward. Faith in Jesus. Hear forward. We're not required to be circumcised. We're not required to follow the law. Well, this creates a problem. And so much of the New Testament is written and it's addressing that very problem. A battle between the circumcision group who said, it's not just enough to believe in Jesus, you also need to be circumcised. Jewish myths that were were, were pulled from culture to help establish and teach that which... It would be sort of the equivalent of like if we added to the Bible the story about Abraham Lincoln, honest Abe. A good story that we just add to the Bible because it's good, right? Those were some of the Jewish myths that were surrounding and, and, and Paul saying, Titus, no, we can't have that. We need we need sound doctrine or human commands. So because when God said, hey, rest on the seventh day, it was like they needed to draw a box around the seventh day and define that. Okay, this is what it means to rest or not rest. Well, God said just rest, but the, well, here's what resting means. And you can't do this and you can't do that. These were all these human commands, but in Jesus, it's all abolished. And it's saying, listen, don't add to the gospel. It's simple. Let's keep it simple. It's hard to live out, but it's simple to get. How we think impacts how we live. Let's take a look at this last set of verses. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. There's a comparison here between the pure and the defiled and unbelieving. It's interesting. To the pure, the people who accept the gospel as it is. Their life becomes pure. To the defiled and unbelieving, nothing becomes pure. How we think impacts how we live. And this is really about false living. Look at the hypocrisy there in verse 16. They say they know God, but they're denying Him by their works. They're saying one thing and living another thing. And if there's one thing, right, in the church today, in our culture today, please, if there's one thing, there's one thing that culture is like, aha, God isn't real, Jesus isn't real, is because when they look at us as people, they say, look, look, at, it doesn't match. And you know what? Sometimes it's true, but other times it's not. But anyways, false living. When we come to accept the gospel, the good news, it needs to transform the way we live. When I first came to know Jesus, I sat down with Doug, and Doug said, listen, I'm so fired up that you come to know Jesus. How you are treating and living with your girlfriend needs to change. We weren't living together, but how you were behaving with your girlfriend needs to change. It's not honoring the way God has has set it up. And I was like, what? You didn't tell me this before. So then he's like, well, let's read it. Let's look at it. So we open the Bible. We start learning. And and he challenges me to purity. I'd never heard that before. Culture's not talking about that. Culture's saying the exact opposite. But yet my friend Doug, who loved me and brought truth into my life and said, no, this is what it means to be the people of God. This is what it means to be whole. And I was left with the decision. Will I humbly obey and honor God and live with purity? Or will I do my own thing? James puts it this way. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith and have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? James, who wrote this, the brother of Jesus, oh, by the way. And, and when he wrote this, people were kind of like, Frustrated with him because they were trying to keep the gospel simple, right? Hey, listen, it's about faith in Jesus and and, and believe and receive. And James is saying, yes, and from that, we're to be gospel-centered but outward-focused. From that, when we receive the gospel, it is to transform and change our life. We've got to. And see, if we have good teaching, good teachers... And false living, that's the problem. We need good teaching, good teachers, holy living, a healthy church of the one true God. We've got to live differently. Now we're all in a process. We all struggle with different unique things. But we're all called on this journey, on this path of trying to, not try living to be like Christ. We've got to, church. We just won't experience the Lord in all of his fullness and all that he has for us if we're not willing to let him invade our lives. If we stop him at invading our hearts and in our minds and we say, No, there, you're done. We've got to let him flow through and continue to impact our lives. I want to finish with this verse. Don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed. How do I do it? Do I make a schedule and, and get up and say, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. I am going to do this now. I'm not going to do that. I am going to do that. No. It says be transformed. How? Not by some self-imposed religious legalism. Not by some, some, some regimen of healthy li- I'm going to do this, this, this. No, we're changed when our mind is changed. When our mind is changed. When our hearts are changed, our lives flow out of that. That's good news. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would raise up leaders, leaders, leaders who courageously encounter false teaching. Leaders who teach health and well, not wealth, but health and well-being and and wholeness and and gospel-centered living and and all those kinds of things, God. Leaders who um, are really trying to walk after you and live for you. And leaders who address truth, God, and address falsehood with with wisdom, with gentleness, God, with strength, yet with, with tenderness. And I pray that you would bring healthy teaching and whole teaching. And I pray that that teaching, God, would lead to whole, healthy lives. Lord, lives that are just trusting in you to, to step away and, and, and to, to to live in, in purity and in holiness and in righteousness and all those things. God, to love our neighbor as ourself, to be transformed and changed and it would influence our lives, God. And that you would make us a healthy church of people that are healthy, God. And yes, Lord, we're going to struggle with things, God, but but but, but that we... We'd be committed to just continuing to fight and continuing to pursue and continuing to seek you and and your life change. God, we thank you for your word. It's good. It's good. Help us to be committed to get into it more and study it and grow in it. God, we just pray you keep doing your work in us and through us. In Christ's name, amen.